This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Future. Future is a fitness app that matches you with an elite personal trainer for remote one-on-one training. Sign up for Future today at tryfuture.com slash no meat and get 50% off your first month. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, have you ever done an escape room? No, I've I've almost done escape rooms actually, but I've not I've not actually done one. <laughs> <laughs> almost done them, so you got locked yep. in. And, no, uh, <laughs> I did my first escape room this over the weekend. Oh, the other one uh, in Asheville. Yeah, uh, one in Black Mountain. Oh, even Black Mountain's got a even Black Mountain has on. an escape room. Yeah, we escaped with uh, about five and a half minutes to spare. Wow. There you go. Was it was it cool? Is it like uh... it was really cool? You know, so I was I was a little I don't know. I, like I thought it would be fun going into it, but um, it was kind of skeptical about the whole experience, whether how difficult it would be and and how much fun it would be. Um, it was it was actually really fun. Like the the clues just kept coming, and you were just you were working like your math brain, you're working your like detective brain, you're wow doing all this. I don't know. Was, yeah, I I would highly recommend. <laughs> recommend <laughs> Wait, so that's a i heard you get in that it's not just like you and uh, a friend or two it's like eight random people can be if you don't go with eight people well so this right? was a group yeah this was a group of eight people um that we all came together but okay. but yeah so I mean, like I, a bunch I think of black that, mountain retirees or something no, no. And you. i think that's what happens if you don't like we rented the whole room but if you if you don't do that then you can end up with a bunch of random people and I, i'm sure that dynamic is is different too but mm-hmm. uh, what was the there's like a theme to each puzzle right like i know that mm-hmm. one in Asheville you can do a brewery theme and there are yeah. several that are sort of adult kind of little racy racy Ooh, vibe nice no this was um this the the only room that they had those big enough there were actually nine of us the only room that was big enough for the nine of us was uh, a scrooge theme so we were um we were finding uh, a potion. We had to unlock a potion, a door to get in to save Tiny Tim. That we were wow. we were locked in Scrooge's uh, Scrooge's office. Yeah, not Scrooge McDuck with the uh, with all the coins everywhere. <laughs> no, no, that would have been sweet. <laughs> no, Scrooge from uh, Christmas Carol. Gotcha. Oh, cool. Well, one day I will do one of those. Yeah, For we sure. should we should uh, speak. We should do it on our next team meeting. And speaking of teammates, we have a. Very special guest today. Yes, we do. That, didn't we almost do it on our team meeting? Wasn't that an option of something we might do? <laughs> Someone threw that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, because there was one. There was one in uh, in Colorado. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So we have Michael Paul with us, uh, who is one of the the new members of the quickly growing No Meat Athlete slash Compliment slash Eighty Twenty Plants team, and mm-hmm. uh, excited to have him on to talk about uh, his lifestyle, which is, I mean, considering he's vegan. That, that's what that's what makes it a good fit for this podcast, but it's a super interesting lifestyle. Uh, hashtag van life, I believe they call it, right? Is no, that, no, that's, that's the Chris. other one. That's okay. Chris. I don't think they live together. I thought it was all the same big van. No? We're pretty, we're pretty much the same person. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, but you do live with each other, right? <laughs> we do. We do now, yes. But not, so, but not. you're not part of van life. That's just, that's just when Chris goes off in his van. I have aspirations of van life, um, but uh, but Chris is the one that's actually experiencing it uh, for for several months on end in Alaska. Gotcha. Yeah. No. So so the, one of the one of the intriguing things about about both these guys because they do it together. But uh, one one thing we really wanted to bring Chris on to uh, 
or Michael, sorry. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about We're the same person. We're the same person. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, they're a nomadic lifestyle. They're uh, digital nomads, which uh, is a term that I've, I've heard be thrown around before, but um, I feel like you guys have totally embraced that, uh, that term, and maybe maybe everybody does. I'm not sure, but um, you're a digital nomad, Michael, right? I am. I am for uh, 16 months now. October of 2018 was the the leap into the digital nomad life. <laughs> what, so so what, what, does, what does that actually mean? Yeah, explain that. Um, so it basically just means you are location independent uh, and you work remotely. Um, so in October of 2018, um, we sold everything in Chicago um, and left for Mexico and uh, have basically been living on the road since. So everything that we uh, that we own, not everything, but everything that we need to live on is in two bags. So we have like a, a travel bag, like a duffel, and then a backpack that has a lot of our electronics, computers, and that's that's how we live. We bounce around from uh, city to city, town to town, usually every three to five months. Um, most digital nomads, I would say, move around a little quicker, but uh, we work a lot. And so we we want to be have somewhat of a quote unquote home base for a little bit longer than a month or a few weeks at a time. So we aim to be at places for, for three to six months, uh, one for work and then one to, to just get, get to know the, the culture and the people a little better before we move on to the next place. Yeah, so, so long story. What's, sorry. No, go ahead. No, long story is, short, it's lo- location independent. Well, actually, that's exactly what I was going to touch on. Is that it's more than just being location independent, or maybe just the way you guys do it is. Because I always thought of digital nomads when, because I, I used to sort of aspire to be that, and then I had, had these pesky things called children that that uh, made it a little bit tougher. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was like would be the coolest lifestyle and, and one that I thought, well, maybe I, maybe I can find a way to do this. In the early days of Nomad Athlete, when it was taking off, I was thinking, fantasizing that like, hey, maybe this will get to the point where my wife can stop her work and we could just be moving around all the time. Uh, but then I realized that like a whole lot of people who, uh, who called themselves nomads just lived in Thailand full time. I mean, they were Americans, lived in fi- Thailand, did their graphic design business or whatever uh, from their laptop. And that that's what I thought digital nomads were. But you guys actually move frequently and you just said that many of them move a lot more frequently uh which is super interesting to me and and i like you said i kind of wonder how anybody gets work done when when you are moving fairly often but i I get with you know three or five months at a time that you can settle in and start start doing some stuff yeah the the super advanced digital nomads uh which i don't think we're there yet are, are living in one one bag that's like a backpack and they literally have like one pair of shorts, one pair of pants, maybe two t-shirts and their computer gear and some underwear. And that's it. And I, I meet these people regularly and they're a lot more nimble to like move from, from place to place. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it does take, you know, all, you know, when it comes to being vegan and, and, and working a lot, like getting acclimated with the place that, that you're moving to, all that takes time, and so that's one of the reasons that we really, you know, like to stay stay in places for for a little longer than a month or two. Yeah, it it sounds kind of like a cross between something like what Matt was talking about there, of like someone who just relocates to 
an international, you know, a cheap international Thailand. city. Always Thailand. Always Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like that's one thing, you know, becoming an expat or, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, and then like the other side of that would be, you know, the 20 something who's just got out of college and has money saved up and is backpacking around Europe for, you know, for six months. And that's like totally different too. So this is kind of somewhere in between. It's like the, the, the eternal backpacker, but who actually makes money and contributes to society, to society. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it totally depends on, on your motivation. Um, when we, we were originally motivated by, for business reasons. Um, yes, the adventure and experiencing new cultures was, was surely part of it. But when we were, in, October, in the summer of 2018, when we were planning uh, our business and, you know, just mapping out the next year, we were like, wait, we can go start our business because it was it was on the web and everything we were doing was on the web and, and clients we were managing were on the web. And so we were like, wait, we can go do this in Mexico and in Central America and in all these other countries that are um, a third of the amount, a third of the cost of living of the United States, but still be getting paid U.S. dollars. It, it was a no-brainer. Like once that like clicked for us, we were like, the pressure is off now. You know, for me personally, I had about three years of of income saved up that I could live on in a in a country that was you know half or a third the price of the U.S. And so like that pressure to turn a profit. Um, was taken off us immediately. So we were able to go to these places, you know, have, have more creative space to really come up with ideas and really go after the clients that, that we wanted at that time. And we weren't, there wasn't all this pressure on us to like turn a profit tomorrow. And that was, that, honestly, that was the main driver of our decision. So the reason I say that is because some nomads are working you know, I, I meet a lot of graphic designers that are working part time, you know, they're working 10, 15, 20 hours a week and making U.S. dollars doing that. You can live very fruitfully in places like Thailand and Mexico. So like bouncing around is not a big deal, but we were working and still are, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week, sometimes more depending on the week. So, um, you know, that was that was the main driver for for what what kicked it off. It's, it's cool that you guys are actually doing this because I think, uh, I mean, I, I read about this 10 years ago probably, and some people probably longer than that, in Tim Ferriss' book, 4-Hour Workweek, right? He talked about this uh, geo-arbitrage yeah. idea where you could you could be making U.S. dollars and spending whatever he calls it. I don't know if it was, well, pesos wouldn't be what he was using in Thailand, but he was talking about getting sitting in, in infinity pools and getting 20 hand massages and all this stuff. <laughs> You know, for, for the cost of a, <laughs> of a normal hotel room or something. I don't know what it was. But it was kind of like, okay, sure, maybe maybe somehow there's some advantage to this. But you probably still need to, like, have, have gotten rich first before this actually works. Uh, but, I mean, you guys, like you said, you, you saved up a couple years' worth of income. But you actually, like, the internet and, and just, you know, <laughs> the, the whole, well, the internet uh, allows this to happen <laughs> these days. Um for real, like the, people actually yeah. do it, which I think yeah. is really cool. It's not, it's not just it a fantasy; cool. like people can really do it. Uh huh. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, All right, so my, oh, my massage game has definitely shot through the roof. So that is yeah. for sure. 
right, so, so we, we've talked a lot about, uh, Matt and I have talked a lot about um, like trimming down on our stuff and belongings. And uh, I think Matt has gone through what you would legitimately call minimalist, minimalist phases or tendencies, right? I've tried. Um, I mean, they've been, they've been tempered by kids in a family where I didn't, I never went to that road where I said, okay, you guys, you're getting rid of all your stuff too. I just did it myself, but right. obviously I didn't throw out our dishes or anything like that, you know? Yeah. So I, yes. I don't I, see, and I don't know if I would go that far for myself, but you know, but certainly, you know, trying to limit the amount of things you have. Uh, but you know, I live in a house, I have a separate detached office I have, and, and they're both full of things, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I can't, I can't imagine, uh, that process of of paring down to just two duffels. So I, I want to hear a little bit about that and like how you decided what uh, what to bring. Okay. Um, and also, and also, I'd like to hear how it feels. Like I'm sure it yeah. feels neat. Again, nice to fantasize about having all your stuff in one bag. Well, for some people. Um, but do you ever get sick of like wearing the same stuff over and over, or or I don't know, many things that come along with having your stuff in one bag. Yep. No, um, there's definitely ups and downs to it. There's, there's both sides of the story for sure. So, um, the process for me was I had already started kind of a, uh, what I thought was a, a minimalistic lifestyle, um, several years ago, you know, once I got into to yoga and meditation and started, introducing myself to this more spiritual realm with that came this idea of you know less is more you don't really need all these things and so i was like slowly kind of getting into this mode of like shopping less and wearing less and it was just kind of this thing that that happened naturally because in my past and still today, like I'm very much into fashion. You guys, you guys can 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 say that you've seen what I wear. It's um, it, it's out there, and um, so I really I, I, <laughs> I appreciate fashion. I appreciate the art behind it. I appreciate the creativity. I appreciate so many things about it. Um, but for some reason, like naturally, like my shopping habit and wanting to always be wearing the newest clothes and the having the newest whatever just was slowly kind of um, subsiding over this kind of spiritual path that I was on. When I decided to do this digital nomad thing, it was, it was an all in thing. Like I, three months before we left, we decided that we were doing this. And so one, I wanted to have all the money I could, um, or be as liquid as I could uh, before I left. So that was one of the reasons for wanting to sell everything. But then also, I was like, I couldn't take everything with me. And I wasn't planning on coming back to Chicago. Like that was in my mind, like, I didn't know for sure if the digital nomad thing was going to work out. But I knew that I wasn't going back to Chicago. Hmm. So I got rid of everything. I started selling it on you know, eBay, not eBay, but a lot of those apps, I can't remember the names of what they are, Craigslist. And to be honest, the the experience was like super cathartic, Um, especially when, you know, I got to to Mexico, Um, we started in Oaxaca City. And, you know, I have, I have maybe four or five t shirts, a couple pairs of pants, a few pairs of shorts. Um, And I never think that I, I need more. Yes, I have I have a couple 
um, garments that are specific to certain areas of Mexico that I love, like the the cape that you guys saw me in and whatever. So sometimes I try to buy things that are local and support the community when I'm in these places. But then my, my uh, process is that I have to get rid of something in my bag, give it away, uh, usually to donate it somewhere. Um, so that's kind of been my process. But as far as like the way that I feel, I feel light. I feel nimble. Um, you know, it's most of the stuff that that I had in my apartment, even though I thought I was living somewhat a minimal lifestyle, minimal lifestyle. And I would think that most people would probably think I was too. There was still a lot of junk, uh, a lot of clothes that I never wore, taking up space, a lot of things in my room that I just didn't use, um, a lot of electronics that I didn't use. Um, and it was like, I don't know, this attachment to these I don't know if it was the the money that they cost or whatever that I that I had, and then once I got rid of them um, by either selling or donating them, I realized that I never needed them in the first place. Um, so yeah, the the entire experience was cathartic, and no matter what, like I don't plan on being a nomad forever. Um, this is just for sure, just you know, a lifestyle phase, maybe for a few years. I I don't really know yet. I do plan on setting up some roots somewhere, whether that's in two or three places, I don't know. But for sure, the, this minimalistic lifestyle that the, the nomad life has kind of forced me into is coming with me. There's no doubt. Like, I don't need anything more. I'm actually constantly thinking about how can I, how can I get less? You know, like, how, how can I live with less, even though I already do live with less? So um, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine like I know for me, I'd be I'd be fearful that if I, you know, say got an apartment somewhere, um, that you know you start buying, or you're like, okay, I need a couple plates. And you start buying a couple plates, and you're like, need some bowls and some silverware and a coffee maker and yada yada, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I have a lot of stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, I, I surely will need to buy those things when I, you know, establish roots somewhere. But right now we're living in Airbnbs and fully furnished apartments. Like we, that's a, that's a requirement when we go to these places, we do not furnish a place every time we land. So that would be a nightmare. So mm -hmm. um, that's one of the downfalls though. Like when people ask, what's the one thing that you miss the most about being a nomad compared to your other lifestyle, I immediately answer my Vitamix. You know, like I don't have a Vitamix with me and every place that I go has a pretty cheap blender and I'm used to the Vitamix life and I like the Vitamix life and I, I want it, you know? So there's, there's little quirks like that, that, um, you know, that are the downsides for sure. You know, on that note, my dad just got us uh, for Christmas because so he, he came, I was just in Spain for a month with my son for soccer and uh, he came and visited us for a while. And and the blender, they didn't have a blender. We went and bought a cheap blender, and it sucked, of course, and it just couldn't do anything. So he gave us for Christmas this, like, a Ninja Mini or something. I don't know, which which apparently has, like, three or four times the, the however they measure it, engine power, motor power. I don't think it's horsepower, but something. And uh, super powerful thing. Kind of heavy, but uh, it's, it's definitely, like, half the size or less of a normal Vitamix or Blendtec. So probably not good for the Nomad life, but uh, for, for what we're doing, it actually it will bring that. Yeah, funny. Me and Chris have had multiple conversations about 
whether we should get the the ninja or neutral bullet or whatever and it's still up in the air the only thing that we're contemplating is the weight because right. the size the size is fine but the yep. weight is the one thing that it is, is holding us back yep cool all right so speaking of uh being of vitamixes and blenders and being Vegans. vegan <laughs> of what, what was that i said veganness veganness yeah all right so all right so you're a nomad, right? You're going to a new place uh, every couple months, you know, probably mostly cities, I imagine. But, um, you know, it has to be challenging to get to know a culture and as a vegan and, and learn the, like, spots where you're going to eat. What's it, what's it like rolling into a new city um, and trying to not just hit the tour spots, but trying to actually, like, set up roots uh, as a vegan? And before that, do you choose the cities that are that you know are going to – Hmm. kind of have vegan stuff for you or you just figure you'll get a stuff at a grocery store if, if there aren't restaurants um b- both are good questions so i'll start with with yours first uh fraser um we usually have a good idea if a town is going to be vegan friendly or not um, most of the places that we go though like so right now we're in a major city we're in medellin in, in medellin in colombia Usually we've been we've been going more towards smaller colonial mountain towns or beach towns because we've been living in major cities our whole life. Um, when we first got to um, Oaxaca City, before we got there, everybody told us it's going to be impossible to eat vegan there. Why are you going there? It's going to be so hard. And it was actually the complete opposite. Um, I think my 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 take on it is that people don't look hard enough or try hard enough or ask the right questions, or um, I think a lot of, and maybe this is just an assumption, uh, if you, a lot of vegans are looking for strictly vegan restaurants. And so in places like Oaxaca City, yes, there's only two fully vegan restaurants in the whole city. But as far as vegan friendly restaurants, there's multiple. And so one of my strategy and what I do before I go to each city is, is I go through Google Maps uh, Google is usually my favorite. I like seeing the Google reviews. Yes, I'll look at um, uh, Happy Cow sometimes, but I'm I'm more of a Google guy. And um, and then I will I'll search for vegan food, and then I'll start marking the restaurants uh, on my map as uh, want to go. There's like a thing where you can save it as want to go, and then I just start firing through them. Um, and uh, and then I'll look up. I usually look up like like for Mexico, for example, um, like a lot of the beans in Mexico are made with with lard. So before I go to a certain country, I will look up, you know, Google like what is usually vegan or but not here or whatever it is. You know, I, it's not that 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 exact Google term, but um, I'll look for little quirks like that, and then. Um, yeah, and then one of my one of my favorite things to do that I don't think a lot of vegans or or aspiring vegans do, or or just mostly plant eaters, is that you know cooks are and chefs are are artists, right? So every single day they're creating the same exact art, and it's the same thing. It's like this it's this routine that they get in, and it's over and over and over and over again. And while I'm sure they love it. One of the things that I like to do when I'm at a restaurant that maybe doesn't or only has a couple of vegan options or no vegan options at all is ask to speak to the cook 
and then ask them if they can create me something that's vegan. And I have never in my life had one cook that didn't seem super excited and, and challenged to, to do this for me. So it's one of those things that I love to do is, is just like give them that creative freedom to go cook me something new. Um, obviously this is at more like your sit down type restaurants, not really at like, you know, the really small, like mom and pop quick service or whatever, but even those, they sometimes work too. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things that I love to do. And then obviously I get super familiar with, with, uh, the language. And I mean, I, I, I still can't speak fluent Spanish, but I can speak fluent vegan Spanish. Um, so I know how to ask for everything in vegan, um, making sure that there's no milk, no butter, um, you know, no eggs. So, cause a lot of, a lot of Mexicans or foreigners don't fully understand what vegan is. They m might think it's vegetarian or, you know, most of the time they just think it's, it's vegetarian, but I have had some hilarious times where, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it's vegan. There's just chicken in it. And it's like, <laughs> wait, uh, I, I think we're on the wrong page here, but that's, that's few and far between, but there's definitely been some funny moments like that where uh where it's happened but yeah so learning the language is, is is a big one and just you know being able to communicate that i like the idea of talking directly to the chef because i think i think something perhaps gets lost when you ask the waiter if they can go do it or if they can go ask the chef if they can do it because that that doesn't always work so well even in the united states uh but i think i think i like the idea of, of talking directly to the chef it's, i agree i i believe you when you say that it's probably difficult for them to not you know to, to say no i can't can't do that challenge or to be offended by it or whatever yeah. all right before uh we get to the rest of the question i think we should we should use this opportunity to thank our new sponsor yes we should this episode of no Made athlete radio is brought to you by future a fitness app that matches you with an elite personal trainer for remote one-on-one -on -one training once you have a trainer you get a personalized workout plan that fits with your schedule your routine and your goals and that coach checks in with you daily to keep you on track and make adjustments as they follow your progress Matt, I, I I met my my personal trainer uh, last week, Corinne. Yeah, and how'd that, I'm, how'd that go? Did you start with like, I'm a hundred. Listen, I'm a hundred mile ultra marathoner. <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> no way, no, no. So I mean, it's pretty cool. You like sign up through the app. You like give them some of your information. You talk about your goals, your personal experience. You know how comfortable you are with the gym, and then you hop on like a fifteen minute uh, like FaceTime call mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, and just kind of go over everything and and she was she was like okay so let's work with your running let's um you know you, you want to get stronger in certain areas okay let's focus on that and uh and then after the call she like built out a personal plan just for me and that fit my running goals you know enhanced my running goals mm -hmm. um and uh yeah it was really cool i did my first workout last night when uh i looked at it and i was like running oh, workout weight workout what kind of workout oh yeah no strength workout um like some body weight stuff, some free weight stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> things that then I don't I hardly ever do, right? And, and areas of the body that I hardly ever target. And, um, and but it was perfect. So I like actually went for a run earlier in that day and came last night, did the did the workout and I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's going to be easy, but it was actually really <laughs> tough, <laughs> but which was good because she was pushing me and then she checked, you know, she's like, you, you do it all through this app and you wear... Um, an iWatch that kind of tracks it for you, um, which is cool because that means you can kind of like take it anywhere and the coach can 
like it, it automatically uploads and they can evaluate your progress and evaluate mm-hmm. how you did and do it. I mean, you can do it at your gym, you can do it at home, you can do it anywhere you want, which is, which is really nice. But, um, yeah, so like I uploaded the, the workout and sent her a little message on through the app and, uh, she wrote me back. She like gave me a bunch of feedback and I don't know, it's like, it's just like this, like immediate response was really pretty cool. And you said they'll even send you that Apple watch to borrow during the trial period, right? That's right. Yep. If you, uh, if you don't have an Apple watch, then they send you one while you're a member, including during the trial period. So very if cool. you don't, yeah, very nice. Sign up for Future today at tryfuture.com slash no meat and get 50% off your first month. That's tryfuture.com slash no meat and get 50% off your first month. All right. So, Michael, one of the things I know about you, and I'll be honest, until a couple of weeks ago when we met, I, I didn't actually know very much about you. But uh, <laughs> but one thing I know that you've kind of alluded to here is um, your kind of transformation down a spiritual journey of yoga and meditation and kind of alternative medicine and all that good stuff. Um, and I have heard, you know, some rumors about some stories where you have uh, done some things that I wouldn't call traditional Western medicine to, <laughs> to, uh, to address some issues or health issues, uh, including allergies. So I, you know, I feel like we can't really talk to you on this podcast without, um, without bringing this up. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm happy to share. Um, it was, uh, it was a life changing experience for me. It happened, um, a few months ago. Um, to make a long story short, I was headed, I was in Mexico city and I was headed to Chiapas, Mexico, because I was connected with this, um, this Amazonian woman who was leading kind of like a four day spiritual retreat, yoga, meditation. And this was, you know, I was taking a few weeks off between leaving uh, the the company that I had started with Chris to start working full time with you. So this was like that in between period, and I was just going there to kind of like just get some space and get my my head connected and right and you know just you know go through some spiritual stuff, and uh, and it was funny. So I set this up like two months in advance, and a day before I get there, I call this this woman, and I'm like. I totally forgot to tell you that I'm vegan. I'm going in the middle of the jungle. Do I need to bring my own food? And uh, and she was like, "Don't worry. I've uh, I built a fully plant based trophology style restaurant in the middle of the jungle uh, as it's it's part of my healing center." And I was like, "Wow." I was like, "All right, this is this is exactly where I need to be." And so uh, What's went trophology? there. Um, it's basically it's like. Um, it's like a term for a nutritional approach that like advocates specific combinations of foods that work mm. well together. So they absorb properly um, everything from, you know, digestion or whatever. So it's kind of like advanced plant-based veganism. Um, it's re- it's like really every single plate um, what's on the plate is, is, is calculated by, mm. by nutrient content. So, um, so I was, I was, I didn't even know what it was when she said that, like, just like you, I was like, what's trophology? And she had to explain it to me. And, um, I was like, cool. sounds like I'm going to uh, a place that, that I need to. So I went there and Wait, so, so hold again, on, hold on. Be- before you go, you, you go, on, uh, I kind of set this up, but, but not, um, fully. What were you like? What were you going there for? 
Um, I was going there for for ayahuasca. So it was, but it was more than that. It was like there was it was meditation. It was um, it was uh, yoga. It was all mm-hmm. these things and. Well, hang on, just let's, to take let's a little. Say what I, no one, people don't know what ayahuasca is. I didn't know what that was until you guys told me in uh, in Colorado. Yeah, so it's a it's a special no herbal herbal um, <laughs> or not herbal. It's a special medicinal plant medicine tea that um, I think was originated in in the Amazon in, in Peru. Um, it's become this kind of like commercial thing lately, where people are drinking it to to trip or whatever. But it's it's more so this spiritual kind of quest that that this tea takes you on and so you know i've been i've been sober for over six and a half years now and so the idea of of altering my my state of mind with an external substance substance was very serious for me because i take my sobriety very seriously it's literally the number one thing in my life and so I did a lot of research on it, and um, there were some things that I that I was searching for and wanted to, to find out. And um, and and also, this particular tea is used for a lot of people that have struggled with sobriety. That maybe the twelve steps hasn't worked for them or whatever, and they hmm. they, they they go and they they drink this, and and it rewires things in their brain, and they're able to actually get insight, and it helps them through you know, the, the sobriety that they've been struggling with for, for however, however many years. For me, my sobriety, while I work at it very hard, um, you know, I, it's been great for me. I love it. It's, it's a better life for me and there's, there's no going back. And so doing this was a big deal for me. It wasn't because my sobriety was struggling. My sobriety, it was the opposite. It was like, I, I, I wanted to experience this and I've done a lot of research on it and I knew it wasn't going to affect my sobriety. So so yeah, so it's this kind of medicinal tea, and the, the a shaman will take you through a, a journey. Um, it's usually about uh, it can be anywhere from like you know four to eight hours, and um, and yeah, it's it's pretty intense. It's uh, it's it's made with this, with a DMT, which um, I think is also in certain things like uh, peyote, and maybe I don't think LSD has DMT, DMT, but um, but yeah, it's. I think you would classify it in, in as a psychedelic, but there's a very spiritual element to it as far as like the process of how you take it and what you go through and, and all that. So what I liked about the place I was going to is that there was this long buildup and there was all this yoga and all this meditation. And, and she told me, if I think you're ready at the end of this, at the end of the four days, then I'm going to serve you the tea a lot of places that do this, it's like you just show up and drink it and, you know, do your thing and then leave. That's that's not what I wanted. And so this was a, a perfect scenario for, for me personally at the time. Cool. So what happened? <laughs> so, yeah, so I got there and um, I on the first day she was doing this body scan just – kind of because what I realized was was right when I got there was this place was way more than 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 an ayahuasca center it was like a, a healing center with with this plant-based trophology restaurant and there was there was these people here that were there for other reasons than than ayahuasca and they just to get healthy from the ground up there was some overweight people that they were healing with with vegan food and I was like wow I was like this is this is such a cool place and it was in the middle of this jungle in southern Mexico and it was just gorgeous and um, 
And she did this body scan and she told me before I even mentioned it to her, she goes, you have really bad food allergies, don't you? And I was like, yes, I, uh, I'm allergic to tree nuts. Um, and it's, it's pretty bad. Like I, I, I usually need to go to the hospital or, uh, EpiPen when, when I ingest them and it's, it sucks because being allergic to tree nuts as a vegan is, is not cool. And, um, and she goes, she looks at me straight, straight in the face and goes, Oh, don't worry about those. They'll be gone tomorrow. And I was like, wait, well, what do you, what do you mean they're going to be gone tomorrow? And, and she didn't really explain it then. She was just like, just, just don't worry about it. I'll, I'll handle those. And I was like, I was still was kind of like, all right, whatever. Like my allergies are different. Maybe you've, you've cured allergies in the past, but like, I know mine and they're really bad. And so I, I kind of shrugged it off and we went through, you know, some processes of, you know, some, we did a Temescal, which is like a, a kind of a, a Mexican version of a sauna that day and meditation and all this stuff. And then I went to bed and then woke up the next morning and met her at like 6.30 or 7 a.m. And she took me to this, it's called a mirador, which means like lookout uh, in English. Mirador is, is the Spanish uh, word for that. And it's overlooking the entire jungle. And she straight up goes, this is where I'm going to cure your your nut allergies. And I was like, what? And then she, she explained that she was going to um, poison me with uh, some plant medicines. And what it was going to do was reset my lymphatic and glandular systems by where she, so she did it in a particular spot on my, my back and my shoulder that, that would do this was reset my lymphatic and glandular systems. And basically the memory of this allergy to my body was going to be gone. And she's like, you're going to get sick for about an hour uh, or, or, or an hour and a half. And then we're going to go straight to the kitchen and you're going to eat a bunch of nuts. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm here and uh, let's do it. I, I just really trusted this woman with my life. And Obviously, lo and behold, yeah. yeah, lo and behold, everything she said, came to fruition. She, she poisoned me and methodically, and I got sick in, in the sense that I, 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 I purged in front of her. And then once I was done purging, uh, we went straight to the kitchen and, uh, I don't know if any of your listeners are, are allergic to anything, but, uh, that when someone puts a bunch of food in front of you that you are allergic to, and like for three days or for three, three times a day for most of your adult life, you've had to like tell a cook or tell yourself or tell someone else that you're allergic and it's this thing that just takes over your life and then someone puts this food in front of you and tells you to eat it you know i was like at first i was like wait should i go get my EpiPens?" and she just looked me straight in the eye she goes your allergies are gone and i was like you're saying this with so much confidence i don't really i, I don't understand it but i'm just gonna believe you and yeah lo and behold i started eating nuts right there and and i've been able to eat them ever since and it's been pretty wild to see. You know what's funny there? What you I was ready to ask a question, and then you just said something exactly like you said. She just said it with so much confidence that you were like, "I'm just going to believe you." Is there any like I I hear about these things where like the old witch doctor stories that when they would point the bone that would make someone die because only because they were just so certain that that it was true and they were going to die, even though there was no actual magic probably happening. Um, do you think this could have been? And this wouldn't take away from it at all. Could it be that she was such a master of that kind of craft that, like, you could actually convince someone 
that their allergies are gone and they are gone and that their body just responds that way? Or do you think it actually is something in whatever she gave you that, that you know, reset your entire system? And I'm not, I'm not one to really believe too much in, in things that aren't scientific. Uh, I've just heard that a lot of times that just the, you know, with all the placebo studies and things that show like when your body believes something, it, it really does respond as if it were true. Um, so I'm just curious, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great question. And there very well could be some truth to that. I was like working with this mind body um, guy that I met in in Puerto Escondido in Mexico when we were there. And that, that was his that was his thing that he would do is that he he was under the, the belief that you could you could um, you know heal your body with your mind. And I think there is a lot of truth to that. I don't know. I I I, I I was able to work with him on a certain on, on some other things um, that that I did find out that that was true, but it wasn't the allergies that we were working on. That was going to be the next step. But then I found this. I, I went to do this spiritual retreat and, and didn't know they were going to cure my allergies. So, in my opinion, I think that there was the the process that she did. Maybe there was a part of it that was mental, but I think that that the medicine that she gave and and actually resetting and purging um what was a part of it my girlfriend went went to her uh, uh a month later and had her her food allergies uh, cured as well so there's there's two wow. people that that it happened mm-hmm. to that i know so yeah i mean i i think it's a great question and i i don't know the answer to that to be honest mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh you didn't actually go in the in the solitary confinement situation for 12 days where there was no sound and no light and no anything <laughs> That was just you telling a story about someone else, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was someone I met in uh, in Lago Atitlan in, in Guatemala who was doing a sensory deprivation treatment where he was in complete darkness for 11 days, which is like, wow, I, I don't even know what to think about that. I mean, I, I, the experience itself, especially since I'm into meditation, sounds incredible, but it also <laughs> sounds very scary. I mean, that's the, so, that's the punishment when you're already in prison. That that's the that's what you have yeah, to do yeah. if you're bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It does. I mean, it's just. Uh, I guess for the record, uh, I think we should probably say that nomad athlete doesn't encourage uh, poisoning of your body, right? <laughs> Nor do I. <laughs> I don't either. This is uh, this is something that uh, I think takes a special person to be able to go through and then also like there is a ton of risk so like there's there's not a lot of modern science that can back this up so i just want to to, to reiterate that right yeah the first time you told me that story I, that was the that, like that was the only thing i could think about was either you're just in a totally different place than i am and uh are willing to take risks that i'm not willing to take or she was that convincing that you would just like like okay yeah why don't you poison me <laughs> and then we'll see what happens <laughs> you right, first you so, poison me and then i'll go eat the food that i'm that also poisons yeah me. right <laughs> when my body is already like broken down you know. <laughs> the, the thing that really impressed me about this woman though is that she she would always talk about science and she knew a lot about like this this vegan trophology and plant-based and like she would explain everything and she was super knowledgeable and she came from 15 generations of Amazonian healers. So like since she could remember, she had been trained on these 
this plant medicines and, and using the earth to heal you. And so like everything, she had an answer for everything and it was always so great and she was always so confident. So it was, that's where I got that trust from. And, and it wasn't the way that she presented it. It wasn't all the foo-foo like, oh, mother nature is going to heal you because this hummingbird says that it was. And, you know, it wasn't, there, there was a little bit of that because she's very into, into mother nature, but there was also like, here's the science behind it and why it, or the biology and why it's going to work for your body. And she would always talk about that for whatever we were doing. And mm -hmm. so that's what I loved about it. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think that that would, I mean, the only way I'd even consider it is if someone presented it with like facts and not just, I mean, well, I mean, facts and quotations, I guess, but you know, like, like maybe convinced that there was some science behind it. Yeah. Yeah. No, she, you know, she didn't have scientific studies, uh, in front of her printed out, but, uh, she had a lot of, conf she had a lot of confidence and she yeah. had a lot of good answers. So, I, so I believed her. Cool. Well, this, it was fun having you on. It's, uh, it's when, since we got back from, uh, our, our visit, I, uh, have been talking to my wife a lot about about you and Chris and, um, and your lifestyles and just how, how different they are and, and, but how like there's some aspects of the travel and the minimalism and the kind of, uh, I don't know, just taking chances that, um, that I, I would love to incorporate more. So it's, it's fun to, fun to get to talk to you about this stuff some more. Yeah. I loved, uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, I don't know if I've if I've expressed this to you guys yet or or told you, but you guys were no meat athlete in particular was an integral part of my vegan journey that started a little under five years ago. Uh, between no meat athlete Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier, you guys were were the ones that that inspired me to go vegan. So it is surreal to not only be on the podcast, but just to be a part of, of this team. And I'm super grateful and, uh, and, and I'm super, um, pumped for, for, for 2020. Yeah, definitely. That's super cool to hear. Thank you for, for saying that. And thank you for coming on and being part of our team. And, uh, <clears throat> I will echo Doug's sentiment that, uh, it is, it's very cool to hear this kind of stuff. Realistically, probably, probably not going to be doing many of these things, but, uh, you know, like Doug said, you know, take take some aspects of it, do it here and there, find a way to do it while still being a, a father and husband and, you know, <laughs> having <laughs> somewhat more of a normal life. But I think uh, I think it's awesome. It's very inspiring for sure. So uh, thank you. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Thank All you. Right. Talk to you later, Michael. All right. Later, guys. All right. Bye.